Hello and welcome to the Emotional Work Podcast where we take a deep dive into the human condition. And as regular listeners will know, I'm a big fan of research and I'm a big fan of evidence. And that is how my guest today came onto my radar. I was reading a fascinating paper on um, expressing emotions and how the appropriateness of that expression can impact the social outcomes for those expressing the emotion. So the social side of expressing emotion, I think, is an under-discussed one in the workplace. I think I've said on this podcast before that whilst the narrative of bringing your whole self to work and being truly authentic is, um, you know, for me, it's a bit idyllic. The sentiment behind it I get, but I'm not quite sure that um, it really accounts for all the implications of doing or not doing that. So that's kind of where I thought this this particular episode and my particular guest today would be really interesting to get on um, because he's really interested in the social nature of emotions and, and how does all that work come together. Anyway, enough from me. Let's get our guest on the air. So welcome to the Emotion at Work podcast, Eric Cheshing. Hi, Eric. How are you? Hi. Hi. It's good to be here. And I'm delighted. Delighted to have you here as well. I'm very, very excited about our recording today. When we did, um, for the listeners, when we, uh, when Eric and I had our conversation kind of pre-record, um, I came off that thinking, oh man, there's so much research you and I could do together. This could be so much fun. Um, so I'm very excited about, um, about what we're going to get into in the podcast today. I think it's going to be a really great listen. So um, as per usual for this podcast, then, I'm going to open up with an unexpected yet innocuous question. So my question for you today then is, what food or what dish brings you that kind of warm, hearty feeling? Oh, hearty feeling. Well, you said fruit. The first thing that came to my mind is pineapple, which is my favorite fruit. Pineapple. And I, yeah, and I can eat pineapple with anything. It can be with, you know, uh, meat, chicken. It can be on pizza. It can be just straight out fresh or with chocolate. <laughs> but I'm not sure that's exactly what you're after with the warm feeling. I guess the warm feeling and the home would be probably chicken soup that chicken brings soup, okay. memories you know of house and home and and grandparents and getting together on holidays and uh family so i guess chicken soup <laughs> okay all right now i i i might have to end the podcast now because you mentioned pineapple on pizza and that <laughs> is just that that's just a big no in my in my world I, oh wow <laughs> no I cannot stand pineapple on pizza. There's a fr- there's a, fr- a, a, a really close friend of mine who I've known since I was like 12. Her favourite pizza is ham and pineapple. And like whenever we go out, she just has it, irrespective of wherever we are. And, you know, even if it's not on the menu, she'll ask if she can have a ham and pineapple pizza. Um, and I just <laughs> cannot get my head around it. It just, it's just, no. Yeah, that's not in my, that's not in my, oh no. Yeah, even the thought of it makes me go, oh. <laughs> Uh, so pineapple and chicken soup uh, I like those two things uh, and so when you have those chicken when you have that chicken soup then um, yeah. uh, how does it because um, so I suppose what I'm interested in and part of the reason that I chose my food based question was mm-hmm. because because of the expectations around emotion expression that come around food mm-hmm. especially when it's kind of you know so I chose warm and hearty food because I, I imagine that when you kind of put that first bit of that first spoonful of soup in your mouth, there mm-hmm. are, there's a, there's an emotion expression that goes with that. Would that be fair? Yeah, yeah, but but I think it's much more than that. Um, okay. For me, chicken soup 
represents like this Friday night. Usually as a Jewish person, so it will be like a, a Friday family dinner after we do like you light the candles and do a kiddush. And then we have the the chicken soup. So it's it's much more than the even the taste and the emotions that the chicken itself or the soup itself brings. Yeah. It's much more about, you know, it's for me it's a warm feeling of there's family around. It's now holiday time or weekend time, and it's time to kind of enjoy the moment. It's, it's a different type of dinner. It's like um, much more festive and family-like. So it's a warm feeling of, of belonging, of having your loved ones around you, of having family with you. So that's the internal feeling that I get uh, when I think about you know that type of dish and, and food. I don't think I've ever order this you know chicken soup outside of of either my family home my own my my wife's chicken soup or my yeah. mother's chicken soup or my grandmother's you know it's not something i would ever order outside when i go out okay so it's much more of a, a feeling of belonging and feeling of of uh, kind of caring and relaxing and family yeah so i, I think for me um the, the closest thing I could get to that would be the kind of the quintessential British Sunday roast, um, mm -hmm. you know, where, where everybody's around the table, where the, sm the smell of the, of the uh, you know, and I, I'm for the, for anyone who's vegetarian or vegan, then <laughs> apologies for what I may kind of go on to say, you know, the smell of the meat roasting, especially if you're doing like a shoulder of lamb or a, a brisket of beef or something like that, where the, where the, the smell mm -hmm. kind of, you know, just, takes over the yeah. whole house and then yeah. everybody comes together and um yeah that that kind of you know what you described there about it being quite festive and having a sense yeah. of belonging and those sorts of things um that yeah that's <laughs> yeah that's that's sunday roast for me interestingly my wife says that i've ruined christmas for um oh. because uh, because i make such good sunday roasts that when we have christmas dinner which is like just a posh sunday roast she said it's just like having a sunday roast that you always make <laughs> So apparently we're going out for we're going out for Christmas dinner this year. So it's oh. different. Well, I think you, you should add the pineapple to the roast. <laughs> no, <makes> way. <laughs> no way. <laughs> <laughs> add a pineapple. Uh, what are you trying to do to me? So really in the podcast, disgraceful, disgraceful. <laughs> uh, so uh, for me, it, it is a food and emotions are, are interesting in, in both the way that you described how it kind of the, the meaning that it has for you um, mm -hmm. but also this this idea that you know you're I know you're interested in about the the appropriateness of the expression um, mm -hmm. you know, especially when I you know when you when I used to go to other people's houses for dinner I would always be a bit cautious about how did I have to play that first mouthful of food you know when somebody <laughs> has served you food and it might not be you know it, it might be delicious you know uh, but there's a risk that you could overplay it or it might not be very nice but how do you do enough so that whatever that kind of emotional response you give is um is is appropriate or you know how, how do you consider the appropriateness or the inappropriateness of it well, yeah um yeah that's a tricky one i mean you put something in your mouth everyone is looking at you um they want they want to get your um response um yeah i mean and you you have to be appropriate as you were saying that's a tough one um 
Yeah. Yeah. Because and, and, <laughs> it, it was something that came up in a previous episode with Emily Hofstetter. She's a, a linguist who's interested in um, what she calls non-lexical vocalizations, um, mm-hmm. which is those mm's and ah's, you know, that first kind of mouthful of, of soup, of chicken soup that you have, and you get mm. Yeah. <laughs> and, and all of the, the, the meaning that, that comes with it. So, so how, how did you get interested in this appropriateness of expressions of emotion then? Where did that come from for you? Well, um, since I am interested in the interpersonal elements of emotion display and the social elements, what happens when we encounter emotions of others, mm. um, really quickly it came to me that, you know, it's not just an emotion per se, but it's also the way it is displayed and the way it is presented and how other people see it. And, you know, it can change the whole concept of the emotion. It's not, it's not enough to say, you know, surface with a smile or, or be happy. Because um, there's so much that could go into the differences in how people display this emotion and how the other person perceives it. Um, and it's just clear that there's other elements besides the discrete emotion mm. that can change the whole meaning of, of the, the emotional display. Um, so actually I got into mostly intensity at first. Okay. And my PhD work was about uh, differences in anger intensity and displays of anger. And it was <laughs> so clear to me, I, I, I can't exactly from when that you know people can be angry and people can be very angry and i would completely respond differently from someone who i can see is angry as opposed mm-hmm. to someone who sees you know really displaying anger in, in a, such a high volume um that you know it, it changes the whole setting and and i guess the more I got into the research and looking at uh, the the findings that are there about uh, interpersonal elements of emotion, um, I thought this would be an interesting area that should be that I should dig, dig more into and kind of get more insight about. So, kind of curving my way uh, into that and and finding actually kind of surprisingly that you know even though there were different projects that I was doing about displays of emotions, that appropriateness kept on coming and popping in as this explanation variable as a mediator that explains why things are going this way or the other. Um, So it's not like, okay, I want to study appropriateness. I want to study emotional display, but appropriateness keeps on popping up and and changing the results of the of the you know the the outcome that people um respond to the emotion mm. okay so um so I, I want to come on to the uh, to the, the the paper that kind of brought us together and i'll, I'll come on to mm-hmm. that later um and, and i say later because you mentioned um kind of where it began for you, for you with your phd or i say where it began one of the early bits of research you did for your PhD was about the intensity then of, of anger and or aggression, I think it was, um, mm-hmm. within that one. And, and I wonder if it might be worthwhile just exploring that a little bit more, because one of the things that I really like about um, your research is that you you tend to, wherever you can, do, do your research in a, in a real life applied setting. 
And if I remember correctly, that particular study, was that done in a clinical setting? Was it in a hospital? Is that right? Yeah, yeah, at yeah. Uh, a hospital, at a few hospitals, actually. Um, but on the other hand, it was still uh, survey data research. So um, I spent a lot of hours at the ER observing uh, nurses and customers, clients that they came in, and, mm. and mostly actually their, um, their escorts that come in with them and looking at the display. And actually it was because at the time there were a lot, it, it still is, it's a horrible element of, of people coming into the hospital and having to stay in queue and they're very frustrated and, and anxious and then they have to wait. And there's a lot of anger and aggression that is being you know, brought out and unfortunately even violence towards the medical staff. Mm. And this is fascinating. People come in because they need help and nurses, you know, and the medical staff, they're all very, <laughs> supposed to be uh, very nice and kind and caring and loving and helping. And what they get in response is, is you know, violence, which is awful. So I, I learned that, you know, in, in the local hospital here, there was a call for security to intervene once a day. That they had to call in the car, you know, they run in to stop a person from really hurting the, the medical staff. Um, but on the other hand, I could completely understand this feeling of anger because anger erupts when people are obstructed from their goal. They cannot get what they came for. Absolutely. You the, yeah, you come to the ER because it's an emergency and you want to get treated and then you have to wait. Mm. And yeah, so, so I could get this feeling that the, the people were getting, the customers were getting, the clients. And um, on the other hand, you know, the medical staff <laughs> does not deserve this kind of treatment. And, and they were competing hypotheses. So if I show anger and frustration, will you take care of me first? You know, because you see that I'm in maybe greater, maybe greater danger, or maybe greater pain, or maybe greater frustration. Mm. And then maybe you should, you know, uh, bring me a head in the queue, or maybe get what, um, you know, get, get me out of the area that maybe stresses out other people as well. But on the other hand, you don't want to reward this behavior because yeah. everyone will start getting angry. And really quickly, it all became to be about uh, the appropriateness of the anger display. So, I mean, it's one thing to start yelling and screaming. It's another thing to even just sit there angrily and stare. And I was so surprised that the nurses were, you know, when you ask them, are there angry people here? They're like, yes, everyone here is angry. The moment they walk in the door, they're just angry and frustrated, even if they don't uh, you know, they don't have to display anything. We know, we see it in, in their faces. We, without them even explicitly starting to, to, you know, yell or anything, we can see that they're angry. Um, and actually, there, there's work that uh, by Vienna Gidis and Pallister that talks about uh, the dual threshold of anger. And that got me fascinated with the, with the topic. And it talks about how not displaying anger is bad for organizations. If mm. people feel anger but not express it, and it's not visible to the others to see, then 
you know, no one can take care of this goal that is being obstructed. No one knows that there's been an injustice to this person. No one knows that this person is feeling bad, that something's wrong, and no one can address it. And he, he's frustrated, or she keeps it inside, and no one sees, and that's not good for the organization because the problem is not being dealt with. And then, if it is visible, then, you know, others can see it and understand, okay, I see there's a problem, there's something wrong. Uh, this person feels that there's been, you know, there's been an injustice, or maybe they've been wronged in some kind of a way, or there's something affecting their goal, um, and then I can attend it. But if the person crosses the line, they become the problem, and mm. they become the annoyance, and, and not the reason that started. That's bad for the person and for the organization, because the person cannot, you know, get an answer, a remedy to their uh, concerns and problems. And I'm, I'm thinking back of my own experience living kind of cross-culturally between the U.S. and Israel, um, how anger is seen so differently in the U.S. than it is in Israel, and things are not tolerated the same way. And, mm -hmm. and I, I got into trouble, uh, you know, by raising my voice too high at times in the U.S. and, you know, not getting the same response that I got um, back home in Israel and realizing how this um, appropriateness level is changes and shifts from, from situation and from context. Um, and, you know, appropriateness is, is really the key for the outcome you will receive. You might get ahead in line if you raise your voice a little bit and show some discomfort, or you might get tossed out of the place because you crossed the line. And, and so one, one question I was going to ask is, you know, where's the line and does it change according to context? Um, you know, <laughs> thinking absolutely, you know, in my head, thinking absolutely it does, it, it, you know, that, that where that line is must shift from, from context to context, whether it be a cultural difference, as you were talking about there between the US mm -hmm. and Israel, or whether it be, um, you know, depending on who, who you're getting angry at, you know, if you're getting angry with a colleague versus or a peer versus getting angry, uh, uh, sorry, getting angry at. If you're, if you're expressing that anger with a peer versus mm -hmm. or compared with expressing that anger to a superior versus yeah. or contrasting with expressing that anger to a subordinate. Um, mm -hmm. You know, so the, uh, I can imagine, you know, or, yeah, each of those different things then will change where that line is or where the appropriateness is for that. So just just sticking with the um, you know with the with what you did in the hospitals then. So what was the outcome then? Because if we're interested in these um, you know, the the uh, the social impact of uh, expression of emotion then. So you, you said you know depending on how you expressed it, it could get you tossed out or it could get you moved up in line. So in yeah. that particular setting, was there a, where was the line and what were some of the social outcomes that would, uh, would happen for individuals mm -hmm. as a result of either kind of going over the line or just getting to the line or being below the line? Yeah, yeah. So, so what, what we did was uh, creative scenarios based on, on my observations and interviews with the staff. Mm -hmm. um, and we changed uh, who the displayer was and um, as far as age, so it could have been an elderly person as opposed to a young person. And I thought that 
this would make a difference between because the, the younger person might be more threatening if they're angry and they might even become violent. Yeah. Uh, well, so, and surprisingly, that did not change anything in our results. Okay. Um, but then the other elements we looked at was either, you know, just staring angrily at the staff as opposed to starting to yell or bang on the desk. Um, and then we even tried to do a control condition when there was no display at all. There was just people coming into the ER. They've been waiting for a while because they, um, and, and then we asked the staff, how angry do you think they are? Um, so the only difference between the scenarios was that this difference in the way anger was expressed mm. and we had a control condition with no expression. And I thought we would get this uh, maybe intensively linear curve that goes, um, you know, a straight line that increases. But what we got was that even those who did not display any emotion in our scenario, the staff saw them as being angry in a mild way. So in a scale of like one to seven, they're above the midpoint of 3.5. The person okay. just came into the ER. So the staff sees anger there and in this inherently into the situation. And because they see that, we could not really get this variance in degrees of anger intensity. So we only got two levels of, of mild anger and high anger. So it was like silent anger, staring, and, or, or just waiting. And then there was loud anger, which was yelling and pounding on the desk. Uh, and those were not different. So there were two levels of anger. And what we found was that the high, the violent, the, the more um, loud anger was mm -hmm. deemed as inappropriate. And that led uh, the staff to report that they were more likely to call security, remove the person from the premise, and actually, you know, um, move against this uh, display of anger. And when the anger was in a silent mode and lower intensity, it was more likely to lead to positive outcomes to the display. Okay. So, yeah. So that when it was appropriate, it led to positive results. When it was inappropriate, it led to negative results. Okay. Um, yeah, so when I when I share it with my peers in Israel, they're like, what? No, the louder we scream, the more we get. <laughs> and I'm like, well, you'd be surprised. Actually, that's not the case. Yeah. Um, and, and I'm sure that it varies, uh, you know, uh, uh, um, by culture, like we were saying, and context mm -hmm. and settings. And there might be people who are a little bit more tolerant to this or not. But in average, once the display crosses the line, then it's bad. It's bad for everyone. It's bad for the person. It's bad for the organization because the the anger might be justified. It might be you know the, the correct feeling one should have when they've been harmed and there's injustice. But um, the the intensity and the inappropriateness of the display takes away from the ability to address the situation as a problem, and you have to address. This person who's being is acting brutally and inappropriately, and takes all the attention away from the situation, from what caused it. Yes, yeah, yeah. So I find it fascinating. I, I agree. So let me sorry. There are three different statements I made there. I didn't finish any of them. Um, so yes, I agree. Uh, you know, 
context and, and things shape it hugely. Um, I also think that the, the and then um, I'm, I'm pretty sure. No, I won't. I'll let you tell me whether this is echoed in some of your findings. Um, mm -hmm. It is sometimes it can be about the the way that you justify the expression as you go alongside it. So, for example, recently um, I've been trying to get some information from uh, from somebody who I used to be a customer of, and mm -hmm. despite multiple attempts to get this information, I'm yet to receive it. Um, so what I found was if, if I can, if I list the catalog of, um, kind of, um, I don't know, inadequacies or failures that the, that the company has made, um, mm -hmm. and, and then I express how angry I am about the service that I received, mm -hmm. that, that got me a, a better kind of, mm -hmm. that, that I got a better outcome to that than I did yeah. on a previous yeah. interaction where I, I rang up already kind of wound up or already quite angry um, mm -hmm. and, and just went straight in with, right, come on, you guys haven't delivered this for me. So I want it and I want you to help me get it. And I want you to help me get it now. Tactic. Um, so the, yeah. yeah, sorry, go on. Uh, this reminds me of a, a wonderful word from my, my colleague, uh, Professor R. Eli, Shlomo R. Eli. He did work exactly on that, on customers complaining about, uh, um, you know, coming in when a service was uh, uh, failed, was there, there was failed service. And they, they show exactly what you're talking about. They're saying when, when it's clear that there's been an injustice and everyone understands that there was a failure in the service, there's no need for you to add emotions to it and anger to it. But when it's ambiguous, and it's not clear and you don't know if it's the fault of the company, mm -hmm. then the anger is used as information and the people get more, the customers get more in, in the form of compensation um, when, they, when they do that. So, so when it, it's clear that you've been wrong, there's no need to add emotion. But when it's ambiguous, then this emotion displays information. Because if I'm the customer service and I understand that you're wrong, mm. I would want to correct it. But if you add insult into it and start, you know, yelling and, and acting up and being angry about it, it turns me off. It kind of gets me, you know, why are you yelling at me? I'll correct this. I know you've been wrong. You're correct. Mm. On the other hand, if it's not clear to me and I'm not sure if, you know, this is our fault or not, but the person is pissed off and is angry and is yelling. I tend to assume that okay, you know, we've I use that as a cue, as information that you know we've probably wronged this person and they should get uh, some kind of a compensation. Mm. So you know, have you? So we we talked about um, oh sorry no let me before I do that so that we've mentioned a few different papers so far so I've introduced your the anger and aggression one mm -hmm. and then you mentioned one about the dual threshold of anger yeah, um, yeah. and then you, you mentioned that one um, just now so yeah. is there a way that we that uh, the because um, one of the things I like to do for all of my listeners is to uh, put links to references in the show notes. Um, which is that the, the the written notes that go alongside each of the podcasts that I put together. 
so would would it be possible for you to send me over a, a, a kind of a list of all of the different papers that we've worked our way through so that if people yeah, want, if the yeah. listener wants to find out more then we can um we can find that we can yeah signpost them to the to the papers if that's okay of course, of course i'd be more than happy to do so although some of them you know you need some kind of a library access because they're you know academic yeah they're paywalled yeah, yeah no i get that yeah and, and yeah so, and, and i know that sometimes you know sometimes that's the case um uh, if i've got the the citation sometimes um if if i use my google search parameters i can sometimes find a pdf version of it somewhere maybe a preprint rather mm -hmm. than the actual paper um but yeah if we've got a list of the references then at least we can we can sign but actually I'll, I'll give you a tip <laughs> I, I don't i think that Sometimes I get, you know, requests from people saying, could you please share this paper with me? And I can't think of any researcher who would not be, you know, more than happy if you Google them, find their, you know, email and write them and say, I'm interested in your work. I'm sure they'll be happy to share their uh, paper with you. So that's a tip. That, most definitely. And that's one that I, you know, that's one that I use a lot. Um, if I can't get hold of the paper, then I'll contact them and go, hi, I really like this piece, this paper, but I can't find it or I can't get it. And it's actually, you, could, you would mind sending me a copy. So I'm, yeah, I, I, I definitely echo that. So fair listener, um, if there's a, if there's a paper you can't get hold of, then um, we're, we are giving you permission to go and contact the author. Here, fingers crossed, the author doesn't get grumpy and go, hang on, why have I got all of these people contacting me to, to say, can I get a copy of your paper? <laughs> I, I think it's a compliment. I mean, I, I, that's the way I see it. You know, when Absolutely. people write to me and say, we're interested in your work, what could be a greater compliment? Um, and as a courtesy, of course, I'm sure my work. Hmm. Um, okay, so the um, so that your PhD research then was the um, looking at the expression of emotion in um, in that hospital kind of setting, um, and uh, you, the methodology was so you observed what was happening, you created some scenarios, surveyed um, the staff within the um, within the the emergency room or the emergency department to say. Mm -hmm how would you respond to these different types of expression of emotion um have you taken what, what other contexts have you done your research in what other kind of workplaces or workplace settings have you have you done some of your research in so, so i tried to combine between lab and field so mm. actually uh, part of my graduate work i also did a project on uh emotion and virtual teams mm. and uh, we actually created in a lab a setting where students came in and we were told they're part of this company, they have to work together, but they cannot talk to one another. They can only uh, use the computer and type in whatever they need, the orders to communicate with the other team members. Um, and they, it was an interdependent cooperative task, so they had to communicate with everyone. Mm -hmm. And they did not know that one of the three there was a confederate, and ah, confederate you, you put a stooge in you had a stooge in your study <laughs> exactly exactly and uh, we actually had to alternate them so there are a bunch of uh, confederates we had that could so people won't uh, be too uh, suspicious mm. and um the person we gave them a list of of words to use sentences pre uh pre uh, made you know, regarding the task. Um, and they had the task of either displaying anger or happiness via the task. 
Okay. And what we were after was seeing if emotions would spread in this lean uh, medium that is only text-based, uh, where the nonverbal cues are very limited. So there's no uh, facial displays and tone of voice, etc. Only text. And uh, would it be mimicked and be and spread to the whole team just because of one person? It was a four-person team. And, and it was amazing how quickly it happened, how messages just kept on, you know, one person sending this negative message and then the other person receiving it and sending it to a completely different other person, this negative tone, negative messages, angry messages, or on the other hand, happy messages. And we used self-reports of the participants before they came into the lab and after they left mm -hmm. uh, regarding their emotions and they did change based on the condition. So the emotion spread and it was contagious and they came in to the lab, you know, feeling one emotion and left just because of one person feeling a different emotion. Um, so that was, so that's completely different because it was all in the lab and, you know, <laughs> confederate that we created. Um, so I, I try as far as methodology to, to do kind of both. Mm -hmm. uh, going to the field into the lab, it's not always easy to get access to organizations. Um, and I've had some failed attempts, unfortunately. Um, but I keep on trying and every opportunity I'll have, I'd be you know more than happy to to take uh, and be inside an organization and you know see how it is in the real world uh, in the real setting. And if not, I try to create, um, scenarios or experiments that hopefully are representative of the real world. And I enjoy that because it gives you a lot of freedom to control things and really test for specific mm. manipulations and isolate noise and see that your effects are indeed what's causing this. So my ideal projects would be, you know, combining both. And actually, um, we talked about intensity and the anger, uh, but one of the fun projects I had was actually moving away from anger because it seemed so obvious uh, to me that, you know, high intensity anger would be a bad thing. Mm -hmm. And we looked at happiness and sadness expressions. And okay. uh, we looked at it in a sense of uh, service providers. So this was work with uh, uh, Adia Meet and Helvin van Cliff. And we looked at how service providers display um, either happiness um, at varying levels of low, here's the product, go ahead, you, this is what you asked for, I'm happy to give it to you. Mm -hmm. This is the product, I'm so happy that you can get this product, <laughs> um, the, the intensity, and also the same with uh, a situation when you don't have the product and you say, oh, I'm sorry, I, I can't, and we don't have that product that I can offer you a replacement, a different thing. Mm -hmm. uh, and that we varied on intensity as well. And um, we did that both in the lab and in the field. And we found that the high intensity, regardless of happiness or sadness, impact how people perceive the service, the service provider, and even the product. And the use of the product was impacted by this intensity. Okay. Yeah, so that high intensity was deemed inappropriate again, which led to a uh, worse outcome to the to the organization, to the service provider. Um, 
is there a so i say is there a pattern yeah no, i'll say is there a pattern is there a pattern emerging here then so um pretend you know so if, if i revisit what we've discussed so far so the the high intensity or the loud anger that you talked about in the hospital setting mm -hmm. that led to less constructive outcomes for the individual i'm going to mm -hmm. i don't think you've used the frame constructor so i've i've now implanted the constructive frame on it sorry um and then you said that high intensity happiness or high intensity sadness led to less constructive outcomes for the uh for the individual displayer. for the displayer yeah. thank you for the displayer um so is there a pattern then that the it, the yeah. if you do any emotion at a great and maybe and maybe i'm trying to make too big a generalization is there a pattern that any emotion if it is done at a high intensity leads to le kind of less constructive outcomes for the displayer mm. so, so that's a great question because that's exactly what we tried to do we wanted to see if there were a situation where the high intensity would be appropriate and would be fitting and would be uh or lead to a good outcome and so far we failed to do that in the lab but i'm I'm confident that there are settings where the high intensity would be fitting and appropriate. Therefore, I don't think that intensity is, you know, the, the mechanism behind it. I think it's the appropriateness that is driving the effect. Because, I mean, if I would be, uh, you know, if I, I was told that I won the lottery and I'd be just happy, <laughs> that'd, be, that'd be odd. That'd be inappropriate. Mm. That'd be a strange display of emotion. Or if I, God forbid, hear terrible news and I'd just be just somewhat sad and not really, you know, <laughs> intensely sad, that mm. would seem inappropriate and unfitting. And therefore, I mean, that's actually, you, you see the progression in the work that got me to write the theoretical piece <laughs> that I was. <laughs> actually invited to write and someone connected the dots for me. They said, well, look at this. We write about this uh, element uh, more broadly and, uh, you know, connect what you have done and others to a more theoretical model. Um, and uh, yeah, it definitely made sense to take a, you know, a little bit of a, a broader perspective and not just focus on the specific projects we had on the specific incidents where we looked at, you know, either anger, happiness, uh, sadness, etc. But to try to find an uh, overarching model that explains um, why outcomes differ. So, okay. and, and did you manage to create one of those? Did you manage to create that theoretical model? Um, yeah, that's, that's exactly the paper that uh, uh, you've mentioned. Um, so, looking at how emotion displays. Um, you know, leads to the outcome of others that they see it. Um, so yeah, the inappropriateness, I, I argue, is the key to determine the outcome. And, um, you know, it's not just about the happy, anger, sad, uh, whatever, the discrete emotion that you're displaying, it's about this appropriateness. And then uh, I go on um, breaking down what determines inappropriateness of display. And like you were saying, you know, if, uh, the displayer, if it's your boss, if it's the, the, your subordinate, your coworker, and then the intensity is, is a big part of it. 
Um, and if it's raining, most of the time, the high intensity is inappropriate, especially in the work setting. Um, and then it's also about, you know, the context and, but also the, the, the medium in which you're using uh, the emotion. So um, even the, so one of the, the projects that I've loved uh, doing is the work with uh, uh, Glixen and Van Cleef, where we looked at uh, smileys. Mm -hmm. And uh, so in, in digital communication, we found that, uh, you know, using a smiley as a first impression cue is actually bad for the person using it, as opposed to a smile, which is a very good way of making a good impression, uh, first impression. Um, so smiles lead others to perceive you as being warm and competent, but smileys do not. Um, they actually not, do not make you seem warmer uh, and make you seem inappropriate. Uh, when it's a business setting, um, make you seem incompetent, actually. And, and the mechanism is this appropriateness of the display. So if you're writing about a, a more um, social gathering that's more um, non-formal, and the smileys could be okay. They could be tolerated and they could be appropriate. But if you're writing about uh, uh, some kind of a business uh, corporate setting, uh, either joining a new team or, or welcoming a new team member or um, anything of that sort, then that smiley would not be as a smile and would then cause you <laughs> some trouble or harm and people will see you in a different light. Mm -hmm. oh, that's fascinating. <clears throat> So one thing I'll, I'll do, I, I know you did a, a TEDx talk um, where you talked about mm. that particular study. So I'll, I'll make sure I put a link, um, I'll put a link to that in the show notes as well. Mm. Um, can we explore the, the theoretical model a little bit more then? So um, what were the, um, what were the, uh, uh, I don't know what to call them, variables or the, mm -hmm. the components mm -hmm. then? That, that that people need to think about because i'm putting myself in in the listener's shoes now then and, and thinking all right well so so far then eric and phil you've you've explored um that the intensity of the expression of an emotion can have an effect on or have an impact on the mm -hmm. social outcomes that uh, that i may achieve you know as the displayer um it's not quite as cut and dried as um the more intense the expression the less um, constructive the the social outcomes are for for me as the displayer um, although there may be some contexts and situations where having a high degree of intensity may be appropriate mm -hmm. um, so what yeah so I suppose if I was in the list of shoes then I'd be thinking well what are some of those variables or some of those aspects then that mm -hmm. um, that, that kind of say why emotion displays could be deemed as unfitting or inappropriate so uh, in the paper, I discussed three characteristics. Uh, one is the, the displayer themselves. So um, we talked about that as far as, you know, if it's the, the manager as opposed to the, mm -hmm. um, to the customer uh, you're displaying, but there are also elements of um, gender that come into play um, where, you know, it, it can be deemed inappropriate 
for various emotions to being displayed uh, because of gender roles. Mm. Uh, unfortunately, this is still the case uh, in many cultures and in many uh, places that, you know, uh, um, a female that will act in a angry manner would be seemed more inappropriate than when a male will do it and will display it. Um, or on the other hand, feeling sad and even shedding a tear would seem inappropriate for a male and more appropriate for a female. Mm. Uh, and it would lead to um, outcomes based on that um, gender role and the appropriateness of the display for the setting. So this is about the displayer themselves. As for um, then the characteristic of the display, mm-hmm. we talked about the intensity level, um, but there also could be, um, which we also mentioned, is is this a digital display that is face-to-face as opposed to an emoji that tries to uh, come into play, uh, as if it's an emotion display, um, which could change the way if it's appropriate or not because of the setting and how it's displayed. So, so the medium plays a role. And of course, the, the, the context of when and where it is displayed. Um, one of the, the important elements is, is the authenticity of the display. And I can um, put that as uh, a, a topic that needs to be um, discussed maybe separately because um, usually they, they come uh, aligned, uh, the inappropriateness and inauthentic uh, displays, but this is not always the case. So mm-hmm. uh, authenticity is sort of a, of a side note that people need to uh, be aware of. When people uh, see an emotion as inauthentic, and it would probably end inappropriate, then, you know, it definitely would lead to a negative outcome. But sometimes if the people are displaying inauthentic emotions but are trying to be appropriate, you might kind of forgive them <laughs> and try to kind of, um, you know, they, they will still get a positive outcome because people see the effort being made mm-hmm to display the, the emotion in the appropriate manner. Um, but I think the other element that uh, came into play is, is part of me building on the emotion and social information model of mm-hmm. Professor Van Cleef, uh, and expanding it and looking at elements of um, incivility, incivility and displays of emotion and it's mostly about the process and the outcome. So um, okay. the, the emotion and social information model uh, talks about how we draw inferences from displays of emotions of other people. So they give us cues about the situation. Like we said, we see an angry customer. We understand something has been wrong. Um, something is wrong. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, or uh, Professor Van Cleef has shown it in negotiation settings, how uh, when someone displays anger, 
the other, the counterpart understands, okay, maybe I, it's gone too far and I should uh, lower or limit my uh, demands. Mm -hmm. Or when they display happiness, on the other hand, they get it as cues that the um, display, um, that the, the person is happy and therefore they can maybe ask for more and uh, gain more from this negotiation. Maybe they can raise their price. Um, but the other element of the um, model talks about the effective route, which leads to this um, more emotional response to the emotion display. Mm -hmm. So if someone displays an emotion, I might, I might catch it as contagious, like I mentioned in the virtual team context. Yep. But I could get an emotional response from someone saying anger at me. I might be offended and feel bad and you know i might uh, feel threatened by the anger or you know uh, it could lead to other emotions which would impact my response mm -hmm. and according to the easy model the inappropriate displays will uh, be dominated by effective reactions so when someone displays an emotion that is not appropriate and fitting to the situation, uh, according to the model, the person is more likely to respond or, or the, the response will be driven by the effective reaction the person uh, receives. Okay. Um, but I claim in this paper that there is another element of this inappropriate display. Um, and that is inappropriate display that could be civil or an inappropriate display that could be uncivil. Mm -hmm. So I could uh, respond with a smiley, which it would be inappropriate, but it would be civil. Okay. And I think that that, I argue, and I hope I convinced in my paper, that uh, these would actually lead to more inferences. So I am not, driven by my effective reaction to the displayer, but I'm more, um, I see this as an odd display, it's unfitting, it's inappropriate, it should not have been displayed, but it's not uncivil, it's not rude, it's not offensive in any way, mm -hmm. and therefore I draw inferences that this person is incompetent, or this person is not aware, or does not understand the situation, mm -hmm. and that is the cue that is given, and it's based on inferences, not on emotion reaction. We're opposed an uncivil display of emotion um, that is inappropriate, then it's more likely to uh, get me emotional, and the effective route is probably going to be the one that will um, deem my response and le lead to my response. Uh, and take precedent over my inferences or my cognitive route uh, in such a sense. Yeah. I hope that makes uh, <laughs> sense. So uh, absolutely it does. Um, and, and it links in with, um, uh, it links in with some other areas that I've explored in the past on this podcast. Um, and I'm really fascinated with because what, for me, when, when I read the paper and what you were talking about the civil, civility and uncivility, um, 
it, it got me fascinated by, uh, sorry, it, sorry, not got me fascinated. It got me thinking about um, the notions of politeness, impoliteness, um, uh, and or you know verbal aggression when we're starting to get into more of the sociolinguistics type of um, of, of disciplines, um, and and also then where that sits in terms of strategic ambiguity, and I would mm -hmm. argue that um, the use of an emoji may be um, uh, unintentional, but it could be strategic. It mm -hmm. could be strategic in a way of leaving enough ambiguity there to let you draw the inference that you want to draw mm. rather than me so I, I can leave it um ambiguous as to whether i'm being civil or uncivil um mm -hmm. and 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 hopefully i hope that you you'd land on civil rather than uncivil um and thinking about the um the way that could yeah yeah think about the way that can be interpreted because one of the variables that um, so you've talked about three in terms of the characteristics of the display or the characteristics of the display um, and the characteristics of the context um, and not that it's any of my business to add to your theoretical model um, but I, I would like to anyway um, so one of the other uh, aspects that I think is important is the clarity aspect and you talked earlier on about the, you know, the, the if there's the clarity of injustice in somebody's anger, then you know it makes it easier for for a, a complaint handler to to you know, to to make the take the actions that the displayer may want to have. Um, but I, I also think that you can use ambiguity, or if there's a yeah, if there's sort of kind of clarity of at one end and ambiguity at the other. I think. The, the the clearer the more clear an, a, a displayer can be in their expression of the emotion um makes it easier for somebody to judge the appropriateness of that mm -hmm. where if somebody is being ambiguous about it it's harder for them to judge the appropriateness of that um so to, uh, to try and bring that to life a little bit i, I stayed in a hotel once where um uh, uh, when I arrived, the reception was unmanned, um, so I had to get one of the bar staff to check me in. And then there was a problem with my room, um, and because I arrived late, everybody had left. There was nobody on reception, there was nobody left in the bar, the restaurant had closed down, um, and I couldn't close my window. Um, and it wasn't like a, it was a, it was like a patio door kind of thing. So, so the, the patio door was open, so I kind of barricaded it shut because somebody theoretically could have come into the room. Um, so when I went to check out in the morning. Um, I got asked how my stay was. Um, I said, oh, it was spectacularly bad. <laughs> and she said, pardon. And she went, good, pardon. So her response was, oh, good, oh, pardon? Because she thought, because I opened with spectacularly. Yeah. Because I said it was spectacularly bad. And then she just, she wasn't sure what to do with that then. And, <laughs> and for me, I was, you know, I was being strategically ambiguous and because mm -hmm. i was deliberately breaking the script of, as to mm -hmm. how that interaction should have gone so that interaction mm -hmm. should have gone how was your stay it was great thanks oh wonderful you know anything and, and then we can check out and i broke the script and yeah and, and, and left it in such a way that it wasn't really clear because i didn't i wasn't overtly um or explicitly angry mm -hmm. but i also wasn't I, I was also being clear that i wasn't happy either so i was kind of in, and she just didn't know what to do with it in that way um 
so I think there's definitely, I think anyway, there's something about the, the, the clarity that yeah. is being brought by the displayer that can then moderate the degree to which it might be the, the behavior or the action might be interpreted mm -hmm. as, or the emotion display, sorry, could be interpreted as appropriate or inappropriate. I agree. I mean, the emotion, first of all, needs to be uh, identified that people have encountered an emotion. Um, and th there's various degrees here of people, people's uh, emotional intelligence and their um, ability in seeing emotion, recognizing emotions. Um, and like you're saying, there's scripts where we expect emotions in certain ways. And when they're not displayed in a certain way, it might throw some people off and other people might just glance at it and not notice anything at all. Um, and, and I guess bringing it to the to timely um, mask wearing COVID times where mm. you can't see the face of the people in front of you. We can see their eyes and, and you know, me feeling really strange of like, I'm smiling now. Can they see that I'm smiling? <laughs> yeah. um, um, you know, that really is tricky because we get a lot of information from emotional cues. Some of them are unconscious. And if we can't recognize the emotions, we're missing um, basic elements in our communication and interactions with others. Mm. And, and, and you're completely right in, in that element of, you know, uh, recognizing the emotion. That's, that has to be the first place. And there could be differences there. And, and actually, there's work on, there's working on currently, uh, which relate to in-group and out-group um, displays and and biases we have about others that might impact which emotions we recognize in others mm. uh, and what of others that have done so as well. So, um, you know, we have various biases as far as expectations and which emotions people should display in specific settings and we might be reading more emotions that are not even there in settings uh, just because of our expectations and because of our biases. Um, yeah, definitely. And, and when you were talking about, you know, the characteristics of the displayer, and you, you know, you mentioned gender. Um, you, know, I, uh, you know, for me, I definitely add ethnicity into that. Um, mm -hmm. you know, any other cultural aspects that could be, um, you know, that mm -hmm. could come into it as well. You know, you mentioned at the start of the towards the start of the podcast that you're Jewish. You know, and that then brings mm -hmm. you know different expectations with it. Just you know, in terms of a if you know, that, yeah that just brings a set of expectations that will then shape what people yeah. may or may not think of as, as being appropriate within that as well mm -hmm. um yeah yeah actually the culture mentioned in the paper as well that i think lands in that element uh, and actually there's a culture that is also not only based on ethnicity and and different countries but also in work context Mm, so, yeah, the organizational culture as well, definitely. Yeah, yeah. And we found that, uh, you know, that there's also communication cultures that develop uh, based on the, the available mediums that people have to communicate. If we're uh, during a pandemic and we're working in, in capsules and some people are working from home and some people are working, um, you know, at the office. And some people are only available at night because there were still kids and they can only answer mm. an email and others can talk on the phone. Um, communication norms and communication culture changes. 
and what's appropriate to share and how you share things differ between teams um, and might cause uh, more divide, even though, you know, that we are already divided by not being able to be in the same physical space, mm. but we also develop different ways of communicating and sharing information, uh, which changes the way we present uh, various elements uh, to one another. Um, yeah, and adding emotion into that makes it, make it even you know, greater uh, um, concerns as far as, you know, miscommunicating what the person is trying to say and reading into um, various elements and cues that, that people use when they write in email, you know, and add uh, three question marks as opposed to one. As opposed to one, <laughs> and, yeah. Yeah, and, and um, that can change the tone and uh, what people perceive and see about it, but it very much could be um, based on the norms and the culture that was developed between the people in that work setting. Mm. Definitely. Um, okay. So what I'd like to do is to, um, to start thinking about, um, I guess, a, like a so what element then. So we, we've, we've talked about a, a number of different aspects. Um, and, and if I, again, I put myself in my listener's shoes then, um, and they might be thinking, okay, so, so what do I do with this then? Yeah. So mm -hmm. what, um, what strategies or what, um, what approaches or what yeah what what do what do i do with that so what i'd like to do next is to get you um to sorry excuse me a second excuse me i had a frog in my throat um yeah is, is to say so what what hints or tips or what recommendations would you make for the people out there in you know either in teams that are working in in the you know within the COVID 19 pandemic you know and then that these emotion expressions are going to be happening all of the time so yeah, yeah what what can people do with um yeah, with what we've talked about today well first of all you know awareness is a, is a big key um the emotions that you see around you can provide you with lots of cues mm. and lots of information of what's going on so so use them don't uh <laughs> don't glance over emotions they have they have a powerful impact on others on the, the way they see the situation and the setting and try to maybe use that for your advantage in a more maybe strategic way mm -hmm. at least in in the sense of being aware that you might be assessed as displaying an inappropriate emotion maybe think a little bit before uh, you display the emotion, try to maybe regulate and, and think beforehand about this, you know, maybe hard conversation you have uh, that's about to come with your uh, colleague or spouse or coworker mm -hmm. or customer. Um, you know what's going to more or less be the, the tone of the conversation. Maybe try to think of which emotions would be the best, the most beneficial in that setting. What will this display um, do to the other person, you know, uh, mm. in the conversation. Maybe you need to display that anger. Maybe that's the only way to go about the situation because you've been wronged and you've been dust and whatever. But mm -hmm. then, you know, say, okay, 
I don't wanna cross the line. I wanna be in check and be appropriate about my anger. And sometimes uh, it might be very explicit to say I'm angry, but saying it in a soft tone mm -hmm. that, uh, that is not screaming and yelling might be better for the for the display. Of course, you can't say, oh, I'm angry and nonchalant and mm -hmm. very softly, but saying it in such a way that the other person understands that you're, you're serious, you're angry, but you don't have to yell and scream and raise your voice. And then they get the cue and you mm -hmm. don't risk being inappropriate and crossing the line. And I would say a lot of observation, looking around and seeing how other people are doing what they're doing. We only know when a norm is being broken and, and when what is the norm when we break it, when we see other people acting out in a way that is inappropriate. That's the only way to really understand that, oh, hmm, I was not aware that I acted in such a way that was not fitting and inappropriate. So a lot of observation and mimicking and seeing what others are doing and trying to kind of blend in, if that's what you want, <laughs> unless, you know, you want to, um, maybe you want to shake things up and, and acting in ways, um, you know, that will be uh, maybe inappropriate, but sticking out and showing people that, you know, something is not right. And, and uh, you know, there's there's good elements even in displaying negative emotions. Um, I think this is what I start with the, the, the paper. Mm. It's not that emotions are bad or good as far as, um, you know, the emotion itself. Mm -hmm. uh, it might feel bad or feel good, but when we're talking about communication and interaction, it's about what the emotions, what is the outcome to the displayer. This is the main argument that I'd like to make. Uh, so, so think about the outcome you would get from displaying this emotion and uh, you know who you're displaying it to and what is the context and what is the intensity. Because you could reap a lot of gains from displaying the correct emotion and providing the correct cue to others um, uh, or maybe even you know changing their, their effective reactions, their mood, their emotion mm. uh, to, to your benefit. Um, so it's not that, you know, I'm being cynical here and trying to be strategic and thinking about our internal feelings and how we express them and being very cognitive and oriented about them. But just be aware that they can be used and they can be useful and maybe you need to uh, think more about the, the, the correct and appropriate emotion for the situation. And, uh, you know, be aware of the power of emotion and how you can maybe regulate the emotions if you think they're inappropriate or um, try to uh, control them in such a manner that would lead you to a positive outcome and to your surroundings. Yeah, I, I agree. I think you know, the... Um, there's a risk that um, by giving that by giving that thought and um, strategy to what you know what's this interaction I'm going to be having? How am I feeling about it already? How might I feel about it at the time when I'm having this interaction? 
what are my goals what are my outcomes what is it that i want to achieve um there's a risk that that that, that comes across as though it's being overtly manipulative for personal gain and to a certain degree yes um mm-hmm. um but it, it's about for me it's about thinking how can i make this in, interaction constructive so mm-hmm. um you and um, my work in definition um inspired by um something that paul ekman wrote about in one of his books called emotions revealed um is this idea of of emotions being constructive that they build relationships and they build trust mm-hmm. and build collaboration um uh, and and if that and if by building that trust and relationship and collaboration i get an outcome that i want then great but it's not at the expense of somebody else mm-hmm. um you know so it, it, yes it's being strategic but it's not being strategic um you know for for, for self gain over others uh, yeah. it can be but it's not you know there's a risk that, that when you say i'm being strategic that, that comes across as oh well you're just in it for yourself but yes mm-hmm. and no um you know so because if if i'm if i can be uh, if i can just express these emotions appropriately then that's not only is that better for me it's better for the person that i'm interacting with mm-hmm. because it doesn't cause that um you know that that affective reaction that you talked about earlier on that then causes that person to call security or whatever that might be um mm-hmm. you know or to to feel the the fear that gets them to the point where they feel like they need to call security because they're you know that they they deemed my actions to be a threat in some way or another um so yeah I, I, I definitely i also think there's there's something in it for um you know when you talked about the computer mediated communication um uh, study that you did you know where you had your confederates to you're mm-hmm. talking about different types of emotions that go with it i see that happening a lot at the moment you know because there is so much computer mediated communication going on so if if you're if you feel yourself writing that email when you're going to you know, not necessarily full on keyboard warrior where you're smashing the keys but where you can feel that emotion is there one of the strategies that i often recommend to people i work with is go back and reread the message that you've been sent and exactly. then and and then label all of the emotions within it you know label the different emotions mm-hmm. that that person is is that you think that person is expressing in what in what they're doing and then make a decision to say do i want to take those emotions on or or what do i want to do with those emotions do i want to take them on do i want to acknowledge them do i want to um you know respond do i want to mirror and, and respond you know in the same way with the same emotions do i want to you know what what do i want to do with them but that that first action of naming each of those emotions that, that uh, are being that you are being expressed mm-hmm. helps you with that the with the awareness of what that the what that is doing for you emotionally and then gives you more choices as to what you want to do with those emotions in in response so exactly yeah so actually um building on what you're saying is 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 taking advantage in a way of this element of the medium we're communicating with so you're not face to face in front of the person you can breathe a little bit read it again label the emotions as you're saying and beware that you know you're not there to fill in the blanks like you would be in a face to face interaction with a, mm-hmm. a smile with a tone in which you're saying it and there's there's work uh that talks about negativity bias in emails that everything that you write that is negative and people read it 
it becomes and seems more negative for the observer, for the person who's reading. Mm -hmm. read, they, they read more negativity into it, as opposed to uh, the pos positive emotions that are displayed by text and email are seen as less positive and more mundane and norm and not, um, you know, showing that much of a positivity element. Mm. So just the textual form of email communication is already in a way um, has this limitation that things seem more negative. So soften the tone a little bit, maybe try to add more um, cues that, you know, provide uh, a softer tone and don't be harsh on email because uh, it would seem much more harsher than you intend to those who receive it. Mm. Okay, all right. Um, okay, so I'm gonna wrap us up then, if that's all right. Um, sure. So are there any, um, is there anyone, any guests that you think I should go and seek out? Is there anyone that you think I should go and seek out to try and get on the podcast, Eric? Oh, wow. Um, well, I did not mention her work this talk, so I'll mention her now. <laughs> okay. So um, Karen Niven, who is in the UK, has fascinating work, work on uh, interpersonal elements of emotion regulation. Okay. So uh, I talked about the, the impact of encountering emotions. Uh, she talks about how we can have different ways that we regulate the emotions of others and what we can do to change and regulate emotions of coworkers or of customers or um, in, in various ways in which strategies are more effective leading to, to the different outcomes. So in a way, it's like taking emotion regulation. I know you had uh, Professor Gross, James mm -hmm. Gross in, in the um, earlier episode, um, this takes it into the interpersonal element of emotion regulation. And I think that's a fascinating area. So Karen Niven, <laughs> I hope she, she agrees to be on. Uh, I think we'll have a, a fabulous conversation about emotions plays at work and the regulation. That's brilliant. Thank you. I'll definitely look her up. That's great. Um, and any, if, if our listeners are interested in, in more, I know we've talked about a number of different papers. So we've talked about uh, on my list, I think so far, are the negativity bias and email that you recently mentioned, mm -hmm. the dual threshold of anger, the anger and aggression one that you did, the clarity of injustice one, um, the, your most recent one um, around uh, appropriateness. And then I've said I'll put a link to your TED talk in as well uh, would you recommend any other books or videos or um, or anything yeah. for people if they're interested in this to go and look into some more yeah definitely so uh, another person that comes into mind is uh, Anatra Faeli uh, okay. she was she was actually my my PhD advisor and her work in the 80s is is seminal as far as starting this effective revolution of work uh, looking at emotional labor and Ways of emotion. So Anatta Saeli would be one of the persons to look up. Um, uh, okay. And, and any book is, is it a, any particular book or paper that you would say you know what well, if mm. you're going to begin somewhere, then this I, is I one really, you should go for. 
I really enjoyed her, her, her work um, that talks about how uh, emotion displays, um, you, we think about emotion in a service setting, so emotion, so emotional, um, uh, oh, no, I'm blanking on the term. So it's uh, uh, the display roles that people have yes. as far as emotion displays. Uh, and she has fascinating work, <laughs> work uh, that she looked at, uh, you know, the, the, the thing of negative emotions that you have to display at work. If you're a bill collector <laughs> or if you're uh, working in, in settings that you should, you're a judge, you need to, even though you might be feeling wonderful, you need to display negative emotions and that mm -hmm. on uh, the workers. But she also has uh, recent work, which looks at uh, textual displays of emotion and digital emotions, uh, which is uh, also fascinating. And uh, I would definitely recommend um, this book um, by Herbin van Cliff, uh, The Interpersonal Dynamics of Emotions uh, Towards an Integrative Theory of Emotions and Social Information which uh, is out already a couple of years, maybe three or four years. Uh, and it really uh, talks about all the interpersonal aspects of emotions uh, and provides this framework that explains and gives lots of examples from various studies um, on how emotions shape uh, social interactions. Fantastic, lovely. Thank you. I, I will. So, if you can send me through um, the, any links to to, the, yes. to those, yes. um, so I, I find the book. Um, so, if you can send me through the links to the papers that you're talking about as well, okay. um, that would be lovely. Um, okay. Please, if that's okay. Be happy to do so. Yeah, I find I find the book the for the from Van Cleef. So I find that one. But yes, yeah, so if you can send me links to the other papers, that'd be grand. Okay. Um, okay, and uh, just in case uh, if the fair listener um, didn't catch up on it earlier on, um, so one of the things that uh, that we discussed and one of the things that, that Eric mentioned in particular was um, he'd love to do some applied research. So he'd love to mm -hmm. do some research in organisations. So fair listener, here is a researcher that wants to do some research with you. Um, so if you want, if you're interested in what we've been talking about and you're you'd want to think about and find out more about how that manifests itself in the interactions that happen in your workplace, then um, there is an open invitation to do it here. Mm -hmm. um, and if people wanted to get in touch with you, Eric, to either do that or to find out some more, what would be the best way for them to get in touch with you? Um, I guess email would be wonderful. So it's, um, my last name is, is pronounced in Hebrew, Cheshin, which I know is tough to, to uh, non-Hebrew speakers. Um, so it, it's spelled C-H-E-S-H-I-N, as in mm -hmm. Nancy, um, and it's, um, the email actually starts with my uh, first initial, so it's acheshin at uh, gmail.com could be perfect. Uh, I, I guess we could Google me and probably find my website, uh, yeah. which has my contact information. Fantastic. Well, I'll make sure we put a link to, to both your profile and to uh, and your email address. We'll put both of those in uh, in the show notes. I now feel really bad that I that I pronounced your surname so poorly <laughs> at the start of the podcast because they did it in a very Anglo-Saxon way with Cheshin rather, rather than as it would have been done um, in a Hebrew <laughs> way. So 
and I, I will apologise at the end of the podcast for that, that ruining the surname at the beginning. <laughs> That's okay. I, I'm not the one who spelled it. I would have spelled it differently. I inherited the spelling of the name. <laughs> so it's a common, uh, yeah, I'm used to it by now. <laughs> okay. All right. So is there anything else then? Anything else that you're thinking, feeling, or want to say before I close this off? Um, I, I really want to thank you, uh, Phil, for this opportunity. I think that one of the um, things that I struggle with is that, you know, I try to do applied work, but I believe that most of my conversation is with other researchers uh, and we write articles and uh, we go to conferences and we talk about our findings, which some of them are very applied, um, but we rarely get to really communicate them to the general public. And I think what you're doing is wonderful, uh, giving this opportunity to, to share uh, our findings and uh, you know bring out um, the, the knowledge that we're accumulating in, in, the academic, in the academic work, in the academic setting, and giving it to the general public. And I wish there were more outlets like that uh, for us to, to go about and discuss work and, uh, uh, and research and findings that are obviously, I mean, I'm doing my work not just to publish papers, but to enhance knowledge and share it. Mm, definitely. Um, and this is a great opportunity. So thank you for the invitation. Oh, you are very, very welcome. Um, you, it's, a, it's, it's, a, it's a personal kind of goal of mine to, to get more, um, more research out, out there in the big wide world because there's so much great stuff happening, so much great stuff going on. Um, and I think a lot of people just don't know where to go to look. And if I can give mm -hmm. them a, an, you know, an insight, um, you know, through you know, talking with people like yourself, and then you know that then gives them links to other researchers, other types of research, then you know that that works for me. And similarly, you know, if if this has been a good experience for you, then please you know, let your colleagues know that uh, I'd be you know, genuinely more than happy to have any. You know, if there's somebody out there doing some research in emotion in the workplace. I want them on mm -hmm. the podcast so you know, <laughs> please feel free to to let people know that if they want to come on there's an outlet available for them most definitely cool great all yeah. right okay in which case then i'll say thank you so much eric thank you so much for, for being a guest on the on the podcast for us we'll um we'll put all the links to every, all the papers and all the all the people that we've discussed um in the show notes and yeah just thank you so much for your time and have a wonderful rest of the day You've been listening to the Emotion at Work podcast, and if you got this far, you must be interested in the role that emotions have in the workplace, either within individuals, between people in teams, or in organisations as a whole. So head over to the Emotion at Work hub, which you can find at community.emotionatwork.co.uk. Thanks for listening.